Amen. I want to say uh, thank you to your, your pastor and the staff here. Um, you know, usually when you invite in a guest speaker, you don't expect him to bring a posse with him, but I did. But, and so they've been very gracious to us. I want to say uh, thank you, and I think you should too, to everyone who's been working with the kids uh, in the evening, the youngest kids, and I think even the missionaries have been running in there. And uh, so, so thanks to them. Uh, we need to thank uh, those who have uh, cooked and prepared and served and even now are cleaning up uh, uh, so we could eat. And uh, that's part of the reason why we need to pray right now because, you know, pulled pork is working for us, but it's also working against us. So, so go ahead and stand and grab your neighbor by the hand. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord. I come before you, uh, Lord, really, I feel like I come before you in weakness. And God, that's, that's okay, as long as uh, your spirit might take that weakness. And uh, Lord, we pray, speak to us in power. Uh, God, I, I pray that you would make us tonight a group of hardcore with soft hearts uh, that are willing to follow you to the ends of the earth, if that's where you call us, because we know that if you send us, you'll resource us. And if you've sent us and resourced us, then, uh, Lord, we're going we're gonna to see you do those miraculous things that are only done as we walk with you. And so, Father, I, th- I pray tonight, uh, speak to our hearts, Lord, challenge us once again with our personal surrender to your call to missions, both, both global and local, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible, you turn to the book of Philippians, chapter three. And a few years back, Time Magazine reported about a uh, fortune tellers convention. So they had a fortune tellers convention in Dublin, Ireland, and so palm readers and stargazers and astrologers all got together and and they you know gathered together for a week to compare notes and learn techniques and and make predictions and so one of the days they were all together in a plenary session meaning everybody just was just together all at once and thieves broke into their hotel rooms and stole their uh their wands and their their brooms and stuff and and the police investigated the scene and they asked the obvious question uh, how come you didn't know this was about to happen? <laughs> Danish physicist Niels Bohr once said, prediction is very difficult, especially if you're talking about the future. <laughs> I ran across an interesting article where at the time that New York City hosted the World's Fair in 1964, Isaac Asimov, who was a, uh, a science fiction writer but also was a professor of biochemistry at Boston University, he, he wrote an article on what the world would look like 50 years later in 2014. He got some things remarkably right. He said, gadgetry will continue to relieve mankind of tedious jobs. Kitchen units will be devised that will prepare auto meals, heating water, and converting it to coffee. 
Communications will become sight sound, and you'll see as well as hear the person on the telephone. Men will continue to withdraw from nature and, and in order to create an environment that will suit them better. Robots will be neither, uh, neither be very common nor very good in 2014, but they will be in existence. The appliances of 2014 will have no electric cords. They'll be powered by long-life batteries running on radioisotopes. And then there's some things he put in there that I, you know, he might have been mistaken about. He said there'll be increasing emphasis on transportation that makes the least possible contact with the surface. And even ground travel will increase, increasingly take to the air a foot or two off the ground. He says, wall screens will have replaced the ordinary set, but transparent cubes will be making their appearance in which three-dimensional viewing will be possible. Ordinary agriculture will keep up with great difficulty and will turn to microorganisms and processed yeast and algae products will be available in a variety of flavors. World of AD 2014 will have a few routine jobs that cannot be done better by some machine than by any human being, so mankind will become largely a race of machine tenders. Mankind will suffer badly from the disease of boredom. This will have serious mental, emotional, sociological consequences. I dare say psychiatry will be far and away the most important medical specialty. Now, he might have been right about that. The most glorious single word in the vocabulary will have become work in our society of enforced leisure. Now, I know that you stop caring about all that and you know predictions about the future right after that fourth blood moon appeared, but, but since, since we are still here and having this conference, then, then maybe we will all agree that nobody can really predict the future. And if you want to complete the eternal purpose of God, there are some things about the future and about now that can help you or they can hurt you. But since you're not feeling me and Mr. Asimov like I need you to, can I give you an experiential exegesis of how to run to win, how to avoid the things that will hurt you, and how to accept the things that will help you? Because there are some things you should not do since we are living in light of the last days. First off, notice if you will, you should not presume on tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. This could be your last day. But now wait, because this is a missions conference. They may not have tomorrow. They may not have tomorrow. That is the challenge of, of stretching so we can reach in a missions conference today. Then on the other hand, not only should you not presume on tomorrow, you should not try to predict tomorrow. You do not know what will happen. I do not know what will happen. Don't waste your money on all the books that say they think they know what will happen. And, and I can remember back in the day, I, I'm sure, sure Brother Jeff can too, the, the book came out, a book came out, 88 Reasons for the Rapture in 1988. And so when, it, when, it, when that didn't happen, they added one and said, okay, 89 reasons, and it's going to be an 89. We're off a year. And, and, and we can't, you know, that's, that's a waste of time. You've got to do what God is calling you to do today. Don't, don't presume on tomorrow. Don't predict tomorrow. Number three, do not procrastinate about tomorrow. Hello, somebody. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today, but also do not put off today getting ready for tomorrow. 
See, to me, that's the importance of what we're doing with this institute, Living Faith Bible Institute. And, and you know, uh, uh, once you have done whatever qualifications are that, that you know, uh, Pastor Bartell here wants to set, but one, once, once you're past that, you should make sure you get into a class. Because you don't know what God might have for you five years from now, three years from now. You have no idea. You need to start preparing now. So the Bible is clear about the Christian's relationship to time. We should celebrate the past, seize the present, and walk in the Spirit into the future. Live today like it will be the last, but prepare for tomorrow like it will not. That way you can run to win, pushing for the prize. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Look, Alan, I'm, I'm quickly becoming convinced that today is as good a day as any. This week is as good a week as any. This conference is as good a conference as any. Not to be governed by my fears anymore, but to start to be governed by faith. Not by my hang-ups, but by hope. Not by the bitter memories of what has been, but by the bright promise of what can be in Jesus Christ. Not by the small, petty, little world of self, but by the eternal purpose of God in my life. So don't let me leave here till you show me how do I redefine possibility based on my spiritual responsibility. How do I infuse the topic of missions with motivation to keep me from squandering my life as a believer who was born again during the last days of church history. That's your opportunity. If you're here tonight, you're saved. You were born again during the last days of church history. We're, we're in the closing times. This is, this, we are nearing the end. Everything is converging together. The, uh, the, the, the stage is getting set, just ready, waiting for the players to arrive. So I'd be glad to help you out. Uh, I turn to Philippians chapter 3. Give me a minute to unpack some principles from this passage. We'll clothe ourselves with our truth, get our healing, and head out here ready to bring somebody with, back with you tomorrow night for our closing night together. But, because tomorrow we're going to see how to cover the cost of your consecration. But let me take you to our text in Philippians chapter 3. Because by the grace of God, your future is filled with living faith. You have potential, you have power, you you have opportunity to be what you haven't been, to do what you haven't done, to achieve what God's Word requires for you to do in order to complete the mission and to push and pursue the eternal purpose of God. And the first step for this process means that you've got to look at having a biblical vision. We talked about that last night, but that's also, we talked about the need for vision as, as one of three things that you need. But in this passage, Paul gives us what the vision is today. Because if you have no biblical vision, it means you have no direction. Okay, let me be kind and rewind. You have no direction if you have no biblical vision. I mean, you ought to, you ought to treat, tweet that tonight. Just, just make sure that you hashtag ReachConf2015. Okay, so, so no vision means no direction. Because the Bible says people perish for lack of vision. 
Yogi Berra, one of the greatest catchers ever to play Major League Baseball, said two things that I think it would behoove us to hear. He said, first, be careful because if you don't know where you're going, you just might get there. And second, if you don't know where you're headed, you're probably going to wind up someplace else. So an old Roman proverb says, when the pilot does not know what port he's sailing to, no wind is a good wind. So as we live today, we can never stop thinking about tomorrow because tomorrow contains the eternal purpose of God. None of us want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, having to give excuses for why we wasted our life, having been born again in the last days of the history of the church. That means I don't want people to talk to me primarily about what they did last year, what they did the year before. I want people to primarily talk about what they see themselves doing for God tomorrow. Because tomorrow is the place that we all have to spend the rest of our lives. So don't worry about tomorrow. Get ready for tomorrow by getting a biblical vision tonight. So tonight I'm going to offer you four very practical steps, practical steps on living in light of our last days, because I really believe that it is the last days. I mean, the devil just used John Hagee's, you know, uh, uh, books to winnow out the chaff and, and get the posers who were frightened to give up on the idea. But now check this. We are more Romanized in our American culture today than any time in our history. And society in the 21st century now mirrors that of the 1st century. We have in our communities today the exact same marriage and family relationships that existed in the Gentile world of Jesus' day. That means conditions at Christ's first coming now parallel the conditions that we have today. So the stage is set, getting ready for the actors to arrive. Okay, wait, you missed that, you missed that. We already have a one-world currency, it's called the dollar. And that was set in motion at the Bretton Woods Accords in 1944 as we, the victor, dictated to the world what the new world order was going to be. There is no IMF or the euro, that's why the dollar is the world's most dominant reserve currency. Okay, I used to be slow too, but not that slow. Let me, let me talk to the kids. Can I talk to the kids? Can I talk to those of you, let's say you're, let's, uh, okay. Especially if you're in here and you're under 40 tonight, I know you can catch this. There are three types of empires that have existed in world history. There were empires of conquest, like, like Assyria and, and, and the Soviet Union. There were empires of commerce, like the Greeks and like the British. And so there are many examples of both of those types of empires, but there's, there have only been two that were empires of trust. The Roman Republic and the United States of America. And the Roman Republic didn't want to occupy and take away a nation's sovereignty. No, they wanted to create regime change. They wanted to come in and set up a new king who would be their ally because their system of alliances continually expanded their security horizon. So what happened? After World War I, every American boot came back home. But when we had to go back there 
And, 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 and in less than a generation, we had to go back there and, turn, and clean that thing out. We said, no moss. No moss. So in the last election, Ron Paul claimed in the Republican debates that we have 900 military bases in, a, in 130 countries. Actually, we have over 600 military bases in 153 foreign countries around the world, but who's counting? And my point is, that's exactly what the Romans did. That is exactly what the Romans did. They would put up an outpost in one of the countries that was their allies, and it was only a small contingent, but you didn't mess with it. Why? Because if you did, you called down the wrath of a Roman legion on your head. So we are the new Romans. We have almost single-handedly created the empire of trust that the Antichrist will co-opt after the rapture. We built our republic deliberately and intentionally to correct the flaws of the Roman model with the same Masonic nod to God that Roman society started with. And you say, Alan, well, you know, I don't know if I quite see all that in the book of Revelation like, like you do. Oh, but that's only because you don't understand code switching. You know, you know, when you read the book of Revelation, you have to understand that in some of it, John is using code switching. And, you know, they say that Kanye West talks different now that he married Kim Kardashian. Now, I don't know about that because he ain't on my playlist. <laughs> but I do know, like in 2009, you know, President Obama went into uh, Bob's Chili Parlor and bought some chili. And the, and the clerk asked if he wanted change back. And he said, no, nah, we straight. That's code switching. I guarantee you he doesn't say to Vladimir Putin, no, nah, we straight. Uh, 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 so so uh, code switching was used by the slaves because if the master didn't want them to have a worship service, then you'd hear them out in the, you, you'd ha you'd hear them out in the field singing down by the riverside and follow the water gourd. And, and they, so they had these ways of communicating. So here's the Apostle John living in an empire that censors the truth. So he can't say Rome because Rome censors truth. So he has to say Babylon. He can't say Pontifex Maximus because they censor truth. So he has to say false prophet. And so there are a lot of things you can, you know, get if you know how to read your Bible and put it together. So knowing the ruling lines of progressive revelation and understanding the landmarks of biblical prophecy allows you to lay out missions correctly. You will never understand missions without knowing Bible prophecy. You'll be so messed up, you'll think we're bringing in the kingdom. Because that's what a lot of Protestant missions is all about. So you've got to know Bible prophecy to, get, to, to lay your missions out straight on the board. But once you see that we are living in the last days, then you understand our need to do four things together. First off, notice if you will, we have to pray for direction. Let the whole church say direction. Okay, watch, watch. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect. Okay, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I ain't perfect yet. But neither are you. 
So watch, verse 12, verse 12. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Keep your finger here in Philippians, but go back to Proverbs chapter 16. And, and Paul is saying, I have my eyes on the prize. I want to arrest the goal for which Jesus arrested me. I want to answer that calling for which Jesus called me to salvation. It is foolish for you to set up goals without consulting. God. Why? Because God is the only one who is in the future, therefore knows your future, therefore can guide you into and ultimately through your future. So pray for God to give you direction, then show you a vision, then provide you the motivation. And I just gave you the answer. I mean, if you wanted an oversimplified uh, Alan, how do I get from point A to point B? How do I get from here to the mission field? Okay, that's the thumbnail sketch. That, see, that's why so much of our missions does not work in so many churches today. Because for one thing, you've got to start with prayer. Prayer for direction. Watch. Verse, uh, as I say, turn to Proverbs 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That means no matter what plans you make, God's purpose never changes, but the process to bring it about might. And God is going to have the last word no matter what you decide. Okay, watch it again. Verse 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. So God determines your steps, your stops, and your stumbles. So you've got to pray for direction. Okay, watch that thing again, verse 21, verse 21. There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. God's eternal purpose will prevail. God is so amazing. In his mercy, he takes three of your left turns and makes them his right turn. And, and so despite your mess-ups, you can still end up part of his plan. Okay, keep your finger again in Philippians 3, but uh, look at Acts chapter 16. Go from Proverbs 16 to Acts 16. There's an amazing illustration of this irrefutable idea in the pilgrimage of the intrepid Apostle Paul. And Paul had this vision to reach and, and, and to preach the gospel. So Christ's body, the church, would be built up by the resources of God's Son to expand God's glory. So Acts chapter 16, verse 6 says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Lord changed their plans, pointed them to Europe. And so God's purpose never changed, but his plan surely did. That is why it is so important for us to pray for direction. Start with prayer. Now that you know what God wants you to do, complete his eternal purpose, ask God to show you how he wants you to do that through this church. Seeing needs and meeting them. Facing problems and solving them. Finding hurts and healing them. Okay, wait, wait. Here's my thing. If you make missions everything, then missions is nothing. So while in some sense, I guess you could say, the church is the missionary, the church is not the missionary. 
uh, why? Because we don't pay you to quit your job and go to church. But we do support some people who are full-time cross-cultural ministers. So while the church is not the missionary, you are. And, and at the same time, every possible person at every possible time through every possible means should be completing the eternal purpose of God. That means preaching the gospel, building the church by the resources of Jesus Christ to the glory of God eternally. And then, and this is our thesis for tonight's study, in missions you're challenged to either a personal service or a personal support that takes that gospel global. What else would you want to do with your life? That's the vision. And as we pursue the mission, God grows us into the image of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many people, you know, kind of come up to me sometimes and they'll come, you know, shuffling down the aisle and come up and, you know, I just don't feel like God's speaking to me or God's not using me or, you know, me and I don't feel real tight, me and God. And, and okay, are, are, you, are you involved in personal service or personal support of the eternal purpose of God? Because if you get involved in his purpose, then he'll grow you into his image. And there won't be any issues of not feeling like you're in fellowship with God anymore. There also won't be any issues, per se, of burnout. Because you aren't doing it for you, and you aren't doing it by your strength. You're doing it by His power and His glory. And that's an exciting thing. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Let's, let's stay on track with what God is doing by praying and walking in the Spirit. Let's trust Him for how He wants us to get things done. That is precisely the advice the wisest man in the world gave to you in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And then He'll direct your paths. Let the whole church say trust. Don't try to figure out every consequence on your own. Trust God till the stars fall and let God sort it out. The vision of this conference is for you to be active in God's eternal purpose and purposefully involved in missions. So can I just press pause there parenthetically and get explicit with you about what the vision involves? Because this takes us from what is plausible in missions to what is actually possible in missions. We've got a dangerous vision with a dangerous mission, so that makes us a dangerous church, dangerous to the devil. Because vision involves first, and this is letter A, maturity. Let the whole church say maturity. maturity. Tragically, there are far too many believers who are not moving in the right direction. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You ain't moving at all. Now, now somebody like that is sitting next to you, just keep looking straight up here at me. Just keep, just keep looking at me. They'll never know you were thinking about them. And, and it's tragic, but it's true. When Jesus walked this planet, he reserved his harshest criticisms for people who looked clean on the outside, but were, were dead on the inside. Help me, Holy Spirit. Uh, God's intention for each one of us 
is that the closer we get to God, the more Christ-like, the more patient, the more loving, the more joyful, the more prayerful, and the more involved we should be. So vision involves maturity. And then on the other hand, this is letter B, maturity involves discipleship. Let the whole church say discipleship. Unlike most other churches, and unlike many Baptist or Bible churches, we are intentional about discipleship. We've studied it out. We've seen how Jesus brought his earliest disciples through seven phases in three and a half years, but the first three phases were able to condense down into 16 or 17 or 18 or however many lessons in a curriculum that we call Discipleship One. And Jesus took about six months to get his men through those first three phases, and that is what we aim to do with you when you sign up for discipleship. So vision involves maturity. Maturity involves discipleship. And then third, third, discipleship involves instruction. Let the whole church say instruction. Instruction. The lessons in discipleship, one, they're the basics. They're the fundamentals. They are the alphabet of the Christian life. But wherever you go and whatever you do your entire life, you will always be going back to those fundamentals. You remember back to elementary school? You know, back in the day before we had iPads and tablets and stuff like that, you would walk into a classroom as a a real little kid, maybe even kindergarten, first grade, and they would have the alphabet along the top of the ceiling. That way, when your eyes started wandering as a, you know, five, six, seven-year-old, what you saw was the alphabet, and you learned the alphabet that early on in life, and yet now, even though you're to the point that you can write sentences and paragraphs and even a book if you want to, you still have to use the alphabet. You can't do it without the alphabet. We've got to get back to the basics, to the fundamentals of Christianity as given in the Bible. So vision involves maturity. Maturity involves discipleship. Discipleship involves instruction. But in the final analysis, instruction has got to bring you to the place of decision. This is where you start desiring to cooperate with God rather than ignore his mission or fight against him. Unfortunately, non-discipleship is the standard in most churches and in most Christians. So check this, it's our first point for study. If you have no intention of becoming a disciple, you can never act like a saint. That's the reason for discipleship. That's why in so many other churches and Baptist churches... I mean, if, uh, okay, <clears throat> last night, if you got home in time, you were able to see probably the most significant thing to happen in American history in the last 20 or 30 years. It was, it was the non-call on Monday night football, and non-call on Monday night football, and it was just an important thing, and I'm, I'm just waiting to hear what all the presidential candidates have to say about it, because that's probably going to determine who I vote for, because that's, that's, that's what a big deal it was. Uh, and and, 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 and that, that call went down, and, and it becomes so important, but if you want to really find controversial times, get two Baptist churches playing softball against each other. I don't know if I've ever quite heard cussing like I've heard 
at Baptist softball games, Baptist churches, fights, fights break out. Um, and, and I'm not, I mean, I even try and make a joke with that. I, I'm not making this up. Um, but, you know, part of that is because if you don't have a church that's doing discipleship, you're not going to have a church where people can become saints. Now, now you are a saint because you're saved by being, being born again, but you're a saint who is an ain't. You're an ain't saint. Oh, I said it, I meant it, and I'm here to represent it. Because you will continually fail at acting up to your calling. Because unless you decide to get instruction in the mission, then you're going to end up wasting your life on other things. Other stuff will become important to you, and you'll have to fight over that instead of really being involved in spiritual warfare. And you believe, but you've either been seduced by comfort or sabotaged by crisis, or you stop growing and stop participating in personal service and ministry. You're an attender, but no longer an attempter. You are a consumer, but not a contributor. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, We then, as workers together with Christ, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. If you want to live in light of our last days, then these small steps are going to bring you a huge dividend. First, pray for direction. Second, on the other hand, after direction, plan for action. Let the whole church say action. action. Back in Philippians 3, look at verse 12 again. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Noah pressed toward the mark of building an ark. Abraham pressed toward the mark of a city built by God. Moses pressed toward the mark of getting God's people out of bondage. Joshua pressed toward the mark of getting Israel into the promised land. David, David pressed toward the mark of Mama said, knock you out. What's your name? Goliath? You better Goliath down. Jesus pressed toward the mark of providing redemption for the entire human race. And in the text that we're teaching tonight, Paul pressed toward the mark for the prize that we're going to get when we fulfill our high calling. So the key thread running through the Bible is all God's people who answered God's call then acted. If you don't act, you haven't really answered the call. So talking a good game will not be enough after tonight because we are living in our last days. Now let me open a window on that word because when the uh, early American pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards, responsible for bringing the first great awakening to the American colonies, when he was just 19 years of age, he composed 70 resolutions. These 70, 70 commitment statements he reread every week for the next 35 years. They covered everything from life mission to good works to time management to relationships to suffering to character development to aspects of his spiritual life. So you need to transform yourself from being a mere spectator in church to being a real participant in God's mission. It is God's purpose that will promote action. 
It is the action of missions that will achieve the result, but it is the result that will give God glory through what you did for all of eternity. Comedian Lily Tomlin of uh, Laugh-In fame once said, I always wanted to be somebody. Now I realize I should have been more specific. Everybody's somebody. But you need to be more specific. God's calling you to something more specific. Because, because if we're really all up in God's vision and, and purposefully serving in the mission, then third, third, this is number three, we must prepare for opposition. Let the whole church say haters. haters. But haters will become your elevators. If you just do this, back in Philippians 3, look at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul forgot all the things behind, whether they were good or bad. And even if they were praiseworthy, he counted them but dung, he said, compared to the prize. And if you're going to go for the prize of God... There are two problems that you have to face. And the problem is you have to face them almost simultaneously. And the first one, this is letter A, you face foes. You, you've got to prepare for that because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they ain't your friend. They're not going to help you out. They will try to hold you back from personal service in God's mission. And you know what? The only way you can keep from meeting the devil head on is if you and him are going in the same direction. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. The only way you can keep from meeting the devil head on is if you're going in the same direction with him. So the devil is out to deceive you. But this is our second point for study. If you can see yourself serving God tomorrow, then today cannot be the end. If you see yourself serving God tomorrow... Today cannot be your end. At 85 years of age, Caleb said to Joshua, I know there are giants there, but give me that mountain. I want to make this my breakout year. See, there's a reason why you know Caleb's name, and you don't remember the names of the other ten spies who got scared of the giants and discouraged the hearts of God's people. It's because those other ten were wearing contract lenses. No, not contact lenses. They were looking through lenses that minimized God and contracted the resources of grace and contracted the, the resources of mercy and shrunk the resources of power. So looking through their contract lenses, they were, they were too small, the giants were too tall, and the task was too difficult. So they followed their fears and they forgot all about living faith. So here's our third point for study. If you follow your fears instead of the mission, you're going to be on the path to anonymity. Nobody will remember your name. You'll die. There's, there, are no, there are no trailer hitches on the back of hearses. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch on the back. Nobody's going to hook a U-Haul up to the back of the, the hearse with your coffin in it and put all your stuff in the U-Haul and take it out to the cemetery. It's just not going to happen. As a matter of fact, 
you know, that cousin you hate is going to be going through your stuff before we get done eating your repast meal. So, so you will fail to leave a legacy. So starting tonight, are you going to doubt your fears, distrust your doubts, and follow living faith? Christianity is filled with dream killers. So on the other hand, and this is letter B, simultaneously you have to face failures. Paul was willing to forget what was behind him because he was not getting fixated on his rearview mirror. And you know, there's a reason that a car's windshield is 20 times bigger than the size of your rearview mirror because you need to see what's coming and what's coming ought to always be larger to you than the vision of what you passed. E. Paul Hovey said, A blind man's world is bounded by the limits of his touch. An ignorant man's world by the limits of his knowledge. But a great man's world is only bounded by the limits of his vision. So determine to move your vision beyond your past failures. Use failures to simply teach you what not to do. Use unfaithfulness to teach you how to now trust in God. Use lack of grace to give you grit and lack of endurance to give you tenacity to bounce back from your failure. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you don't punk out like that. Not for Jesus. I mean, if the devil's going to get me like that, I'm going to give it to him like this. Because failure is not falling down. Failure is staying down. How'd you miss that all these years? And I understand we come, many of us, from a background and a religious culture that made us think that failure was falling down. Falling down was failure, and that's never been the case. So let me open a window on that word, because Duke Redmond got expelled from school. So he started working in the Texas oil fields, and he had this vision of wildcatting and becoming an independent explorer and building his own business. So he scraped together enough money that he could lease some equipment and, and drill a well. He drilled 29 wells in two years. Every one of those holes came up dry. Almost 40 years old, and he's still not hitting oil. So to improve his chances, he went to school. He studied land formations and shell types and other aspects of geology. Once he finished school, he leased his 30th tract of land, and this time he struck oil. Three out of every four holes to, to this day end up dry. And after 60 years, he says he's failed more than anybody else in the oil business but he succeeded often enough to accumulate a fortune estimated at about a quarter of a billion dollars. Failure is never fatal unless you let it be final. For the simple reason that God is bigger than your failure. I understand the devil is bigger than you, but God is bigger than the devil. And so if the devil makes you full, that's not fatal, and it's not unless you let it be final. Because God is bigger than your failure. So pray for direction. Plan for action. Prepare for opposition. But in the final analysis, and this is number four, you've got to press for promotion. So let me, let me talk to the kids again. Let me talk to the under 40 crowd because you'll get this. We have to become people who see the invisible and hear the inaudible 
so we can do the impossible. I'm just saying. We have to become people who see the invisible. We've got to see what God's giving us that's not even here yet. What God's doing through us that we haven't even attempted yet. We've got to hear the inaudible. We've got, to, we've got to pray for direction and hear what his Holy Spirit is saying about which way to go. And if we do that, we can do the impossible. Verse 14 of Philippians 3, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I forget what's behind me. I foresee what's ahead of me so that I can achieve what's above me. Oh, we're not there yet because Jesus has not returned for us yet. But we are living in our last days. So anything that we're going to let God use us to do has to be done today. You mean to to tell me you're going to presume on God like like, you'll, like you have another conference to wait? Like you can wait until next year's conference instead of this one? 365 days later or, or whatever it may end up being? This, this year is to be your breakout year. This is the conference to be your breakout conference. You need to break out of your broken places. You still have some troublesome tendencies. You still have some doubtful deeds. I understand that. But that's why this challenge to the mission is is so important for you. Because it is only living faith, functioning in God's eternal purpose, that is going to break you out of your bondage. The Word of God always does the work. So it is only you responding to God's Word by faith, and then walking in God's spirit, and then God's spirit will walk you out of whatever you're into that you shouldn't be. And the Holy Spirit will walk you into everything God has for you. Turn one, of, one chapter over to Philippians 4. Charles Spurgeon once said, self-satisfaction is the death of progress, and contentment with worldly goods is a blessing, but contentment in spiritual things is a curse and a sin. I'm pressing because the future brings promotion if I press. So I can't be satisfied with what level I'm at. I've got to step it up. And I'm not there yet. But like Paul, I'm pressing. I've not arrived yet. But like Paul, I'm pressing. I am becoming. I am pursuing. I am hoping. I am trusting. I am believing. I am striving. I am pushing. I'm falling and rising up again. I'm losing and gaining ground again. I'm crying, but I'm trying again. I am pressured, but I'm praising God again. Why? Because your last year is gone. Last conference is over. This is the day you need to start answering your doubters and say, you don't know the God who made me. You don't even know the Christ who saved me. You don't know the Holy Ghost who fills me. You don't know the love that lifts me 
or the hope that holds me or the favor that faith brings me. So I will count on what God has already done for me to do me some more because that means I can bear any burden for God's eternal purpose. I can face any heartache for missionary service. I can handle any hardship because verse 13 of Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And if you believe it, you better receive it. Because that means you're bigger than your bank account. We have a great God. How can you trust Him for little things? And you know, I'm going to wait till tomorrow night to talk about covering the cost of your consecration, but as you consider your faith, promise, missions, offering, and you have such a great God, you're going to trust Him for small things? That disrespects Him. Now, don't just make up a number. Pray and get from God what he wants you to give. But don't trust him for smaller than what he's asking of you. We have a great king. You can't make small requests from a great king. And no matter what happens, do not let the devil stop you. God is greater than the devil. Do not let anybody but God... Control your future. God's still able to do above what we ask or think. And I don't know what the GOP is thinking. And I don't know what the GDP is doing. But God is still in control. God is still directing the drama of human history. God is still working his purpose in your life. So God will take care of you. Keep on praying, keep on preparing, keep on planning, keep on pressing because there's goodness above you that is greater than the mess surrounding you. And there's a God above you stronger than the enemies around you. Go ahead and stand and grab your neighbor by the hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian be praying.